hello, hello. I am Kate, your kick-ass life enabler. I am a personal trainer specializing in fitness for females. I am a counselor specializing in trauma recovery. And this is the Kick-Ass Life Project podcast. If you are brand new here, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. Today, I'm going to be talking about intuitive eating and what dieting does to your body and your mind. See, right now in my Facebook group, I am doing a five-day undiet your life and break up with toxic fitness challenge. So I thought I would share a bit of it here in the podcast. Traditional diets and fitness plans tend to be rigid, sometimes extreme, usually restrictive. And what we're actually doing in this challenge is we're taking a 10-day total mind and body detox guide and kind of dismantling it, bringing awareness to the diet culture that's in it and reworking it so that it it can actually be a healthy thing. (laughs) I want to make the point that a lot of times these diets are brought to us as temporary things, like a 10-day thing. Sometimes their diets are brought to us as an ongoing thing, like keto or paleo. It's supposed to be a lifestyle that you live your whole life by. And by the end of this episode, I am going to ask you to sort of check in with yourself about whether or not dieting is something that you feel is going to be right for you. This is always going to be blanketed with autonomy, meaning I'm going to bring you awareness, I'm going to bring you information, but your choices are always yours. They have to be. This is key to intuitive eating, is that you have the autonomy. You have the choice. So just be aware that this is bringing awareness, this is knowledge, it is information, but as in all of my podcasts, I need to stress that this is not advice for what you should do with your body and your life. So please always make sure that you are following what is best for you. So as I said, I'm going to address what happens in your body and in your mind when we follow diets and detoxes. But before I get into that, I need to apologize. I need to apologize because I have been a diet culture pusher. And I'm going to use Maya Angelou for a bit of absolution with that and her quote that says, I did then what I knew how to do. Now I know better, I do better. So thank you, Maya Angelou, for that thought. And I encourage you to use that same quote, that same thought with yourself if slash when shaming thoughts about past behavior come up. So Because as we're going through this, you might be having these thoughts of like, oh my gosh, can't believe I've done that to myself, or I should be doing different things. I did then what I knew how to do. Now I know better. I do better. Please keep that in mind. And please accept my apology, whether I know you or not, whether I have talked to you or not. I have put diet culture out into the world in ways of, for instance, encouraging people to drink water or chew gum as a way to help ignore hunger cues, literally telling them to ignore what their body is telling them. I have, as a fitness instructor, cheerleaded people to burn off calories, burn off those naughty calories that they had at Christmas dinner, 
or talking about how it takes 100 burpees to burn off a plate of fries. Don't take that as fact, by the way, it doesn't actually work that way. But even the suggestion that exercise is a form of retribution for eating, or that you shouldn't have eaten the fries in the first place, I need to apologize for that. All of that is diet culture. Now, I am going to be posting this five-day undiet your life and detox or break up with toxic fitness. Yeah, undiet your life and break up with toxic fitness. I'm going to be posting this as a free challenge. So you, I'll put a link in the show notes, you will be able to go and do the whole thing. And we will talk more about exactly what diet culture is. But right now, I'm going to just sum it up as diet culture, meaning placing a higher value on restricting calories, um, looking a certain way, labeling foods as good or bad, putting all of that above you, basically, above what is actually healthy for you. So I first really became aware of the toxic nature of diet culture and and the fitness world about two years ago when I started my counseling program. And I mean, I'll be honest, I think I've always been aware of it and tried to lean more towards the healthy side of things. And always, even when I was spouting diet culture, I was doing it with the intention of helping people be healthy. And I honestly believe that most fitness instructors and nutrition coaches are doing that as well. But when I began my fitness or my counseling program, and I started learning about shame, judgment, toxic and abusive behaviors, trauma, the more I learned about all of these things, the more I started seeing it as a built-in accepted norm within the fitness world, within the diet world. And it was actually kind of shocking. So I started researching and understanding intuitive eating and also found trauma-informed fitness. So I have noticed, by the way, I say so a lot. <laughs> That's going to be my thing that I, when I, I do listen back to my own podcast, just to um, make sure there hasn't been any, sometimes it helps to re-listen to it with fresh ears. And I become aware of something I've said that I think, oh, I need to change that. That wasn't my intention, the way it came out. But what I also notice is I say so a lot. <laughs> and I'm going to try not to do that. So, so... <laughs> Let me know if you've noticed that about me as well. Uh, okay, really quickly, I want to put a pin in detoxes and cleanses because your body and your mind are not toxic. So right in the title of some of these things, a total mind and body detox, there is diet culture seeping out of that with the underlying message that your mind and body are toxic to start with. They are not. And you have a built-in detoxifier in your body already. It's called your liver. Ta-freaking-da, you're detoxed. <laughs> but let's also take a moment to bring that ultra-important autonomy piece back in. Because just because I am bringing awareness of diet culture and the societal pressures and assumptions that come along with living in a female-identifying body 
Just because you have awareness, it doesn't mean you have to do anything differently. I really want to stress that. It is your choice. For example, I am aware that when I shave my legs, that's a social construct about women looking a certain way. But I have no intention of not shaving my legs. When I don't, it feels physically uncomfortable for me. And to the best of my knowledge, it doesn't harm me to shave my legs. Just because you have awareness of diet culture and that it, it also is a social construct to keep women looking a certain way, it doesn't mean you have to change it. But I will, however, note that diet culture and many diets, unlike leg shaving, can actually be harmful. However, again, stressing, probably for the last time, but probably not. Undieting your life doesn't work unless you have the autonomy to do it, unless it is your choice. I will go so far as to say, though, that without awareness, we actually wouldn't have a choice because diet culture is so pervasive. It is all around us. It is in schools. It is in churches. It is in hospitals. It is in families. It is in media. It is everywhere. It's like we're fish swimming in it. So without awareness, I, I kind of feel like it would almost be impossible to have a choice because you just wouldn't see anything different. Once you do see it, I find that most people are happy to reject diet culture. But rejecting it is also hard. Even someone who has no intention of restricting their calories or following a fad still gets inundated all the time, gets prompted, poked, nudged with diet culture. So it's really easy to pick up disordered eating habits. Whether that is through a desire to lose weight or just life getting really busy or believing it's the healthy thing to do. Like a detox. Many people, when we get a detox guide, it's usually coming from this trusted source that we feel like they must know what they're talking about. This must be the thing to do to be healthy. But when you go on a calorie restriction diet, even short term, your body on a cellular level reacts as though you are trying to kill it. Now, logically, you know you're choosing to do this, but again, on that deep unconscious physiological cellular level, that's all your body knows. We are not safe right now. And I must warn you, if it's a battle between your thinking brain and that primal part of your body, you're going to lose that battle. <laughs> your body and your primitive brain have one job. One. And by this point in your life, they've gotten really good at that job because it's all they do. Their job, keep you alive. So if your body and your primitive brain believe that you are trying to kill them with this restrictive diet, they simply won't let you. Think about holding your breath. You need air to live, right? At some point, your body takes over and you breathe if you've been holding your breath. Even if you are able to consciously override that and you end up, what does your body do? It, it makes you pass out. It, may, it totally knocks you out and it takes over and you breathe. That is how important it is, right? And 
if you've listened to my polyvagal things, remember that shutdown is literally your body's last defense, right? And that is literally what your body does. If you were to hold your breath and you were to override those increasingly strong urges to breathe, your body would shut you down. It's its last defense, that primitive part of your brain. It shuts everything else down. It literally makes you pass out, takes over, you breathe. Food is actually no different than air. It is, obviously, you can go a lot longer without food than you can go without air, but it's the same thing. Your body needs food, and it reacts in the same way to a lack of food as it does to a lack of air. So even imagine, because you might be thinking, well, I'm not never eating. If I'm on a restrictive diet, I am eating something. Well, imagine that. Imagine holding your breath and then taking tiny little inhales all the time. How would that go over? I feel like at some point, again, your body takes over and you just, you're going to inhale as much air as possible. Now relate that to food and dieting and all of a sudden, I'm using air quotes, falling off the wagon, gulping in food. This is not your fault. This is your body literally taking over to keep you alive. You can't fight that primal part of your body. It, it's just not possible. So what happens when you go on restrictive diets? There's actually five things, I think. There's probably more, but five that I'm going to highlight for you. First thing that happens, actually I shouldn't say first thing, one thing that happens, your metabolism slows down. So you actually aren't saving as many calories as you think you are anyway. <laughs> you become obsessed with thinking about food. Now let me know if that rings true to you, that the less food you have, the more obsessed you become with meal planning and what am I going to buy and what am I going to eat and like food just invades your brain. And this is because this is part of that, your primitive brain taking over. It's not dumb. It's like, um, hello, we're hungry. So here's a thought about food. Here's a thought about food. Oh, you're not listening. Here's more. Here's more. And oh, you're trying to think about that thing over there. No, no, I'm going to be an asshole and push that thought right out of your head. Let's think about food. It's going to do that and become louder and louder and louder because you're not listening. Another thing that's going to happen is your energy levels are going to tank. And when your energy levels tank, your activity levels tank. And I'm going to give you a little tidbit of knowledge that I'm betting you don't know about. And it's really important. It's something called G-flux. Sometimes it's called the energy flux. G-flux or energy flux. So, with it, so <laughs> without blinding you with science, G-flux is your energy turnover. So instead of thinking about calories in versus calories out, I mean, well, actually it is. It is calories in and calories out, but not in the sense of um, eat less, move more. It's actually eat more, move more. So, Frick. So if you are thinking like a lot of people do, I need to take in 500 calories less than I put out and that's going to equal weight loss. 
Now, first of all, that is steeped in diet culture because the, the assumption is you need to lose weight. And part of this five-day challenge thing I'm doing is talking about the, the link between health and weight is not what you think it is. So let's just put the idea that we have to lose weight out of our heads for a moment and imagine that your body is beautiful and fine the way it is. But lots of people are thinking that, right? I need less calories in and I need to put more calories out and if I have that deficit, that's what's going to be healthy for me. But what if I told you that you actually get more benefit with your energy turnover? So it's not about the deficit, it's about how many calories you bring in and how many calories you then turn over with your activity. Let's talk more about that if that's interesting you. I can do an episode on that. So if you, I don't want to I want to don't want to make that about the what the episode is about, but if that's something that you're going, "Huh? Tell me more." Let me know. I will. Another thing that happens when you are restricting calories, your cognitive ability is impaired. Me, seriously, meaning do not ever make big life decisions while you're on a diet. Your thinking is not where it should be. And then I also want to mention something you might be aware of. Your mood changes, and not usually for the better. Basically, your nervous system is detecting a threat, and it puts you into a conservation mode with a really short fuse to fuck off fight flight mode. And there isn't actually a bonus thing I wanted to talk about too that, again, hardly anyone ever talks about because it's so new to having a place at the table, and that's your female hormones. So, one, it is metabolically expensive for your female hormones to exist and to operate and do all the things they do and to be constantly changing and fluxing as they do. But female bodies do not run on the same calorie calculators as men's bodies. So when you're looking at calculating how many calories, blah, 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 how many you need, like your how many calories do I need? I am I am going to blow your mind and tell you again that all these things that we look at, these are things based on research from a male body. And then they take that research and they go, yep, that'll probably work for females too. What it's not taking into account is that not only do those female hormones, they need that G-flux. In order to operate properly, they need the energy turnover. They need the calories in, the calories out. But it's much more dangerous to our internal balance to fast, even intermittent fasting and things. This is why you sometimes hear people saying intermittent fasting not recommended for females. It's because our female hormones are much more susceptible to fluctuations in our energy levels, in our calories, in, in our blood sugar levels, the calorie availability. So having that disruption, it really negatively affects our female hormones. They need a more steady input in order to do what they do. Okay. I'm sorry, that was that was a big long pause. I was trying really hard not to say so. <laughs> I have done an episode on the gender data gap and how assuming that research based on male bodies will transfer over to female is complete hogswallop. 
So if you want to get even more riled up about these things, make sure you go listen to that one. For right now, let's get into fun stuff like disordered eating. Woohoo! Now, I'm going to mention disordered eating is different than an eating disorder. And the simplest way that I can put that for the sake of this podcast is that an eating disorder is not a lifestyle choice. It is a psychological injury illness that needs professional help. It is, I'm going to say curable. I don't know that that's the right word. Word. It, it can be helped, it can be reversed, it can be managed, but it's not something that's going to be fixed by listening to this podcast episode. So an eating disorder is not a lifestyle choice. It is not something you have control over. It's not something you just change your habits and it changes. Eating dis- or, sorry, disordered eating habits are a lifestyle choice. They are something that we totally have control over, but they are dangerous because they can lead to full-blown eating disorders. On the very minimalist level, they are dangerous because they normalize diet culture. They normalize the abusive tactics of diet culture. And ultimately, the data shows it, diets have unhealthy outcomes. So what the data is now showing, what the research is now showing, bodies of research, not one study, showing that there is no such thing as a healthy diet. I do want to obviously put the caveat in there that if for medical reasons there's certain foods that you can't eat or that you have to look at the way you are eating for medical reasons, that's obviously very different than lifestyle choices. So it's kind of this idea that any food that doesn't work well with your body is not a healthy food for you. So when we're talking about this, we are talking about you designing it. You are the expert of you. You getting to choose what is healthy for you, not the diet culture deciding for you. So disordered eating habits, what are they? Here are some signs. And if you are seeing yourself in this, I want you to first think about, is this something that happens once in a while? Um, Or is this something that I do on a regular basis in the name of being healthy or maybe it's weight loss or, or whatever it is. So I am talking about habits, things that are ongoing routines in your life. Disordered eating habits are an obsession with weight loss, which I, right off the bat, I find absolutely stunning <laughs> because I think, what does diet culture do? Diet culture does nothing but push weight loss ideas, tactics, strategies, at you as like the thing you need to focus on and then says that an eating an eating sorry a disordered eating habit is to be obsessed with weight loss (laughs) like well no duh I'm obsessed with it it's all around me anyway um so having an obsession with weight loss is also potentially going to be something that happens with dieting right like when you're restricting calories Uh, Chronic dieting is a disordered eating habit. Compensatory behaviors, so things like I I ate this food, now I have to go do a workout to burn it off. That's a compensatory, compensatory behavior. Restricting calories, skipping meals, having fears and anxieties around food, which again would be so normal if you're in in this 
mode in in this diet culture fears and anxieties things like you know oh i can't have that in the house because i could never control myself around that or being worried about going out to a buffet or a dinner party because ooh, what am i going to eat or i'm i am going to overeat fasting binge eating avoiding certain food groups again outside of medical conditions diet pills these are all disordered eating habits and again if you are seeing yourself in this this is this is not a shame this at you this is remember that maya angelo quote and remember this is what you've been taught you're you're going to have different awareness now and then you get to make a choice but there's no judgment involved here okay this is just awareness that these things are actually not healthy for your body how do we know if something's a problem the, the again really simple easy way to look at it is is it interfering with your life in a negative way if it's not it's not a problem and this applies in the counseling world when people come to us and say is this a problem like should i not be doing this is it interfering with your life in a negative way so let's think about that with food can you find food to eat wherever you go like when you're dining out or at your friend's house whatever it is you go to a different city or something you stay with someone can you find food to eat when you're out is is food and meal planning and dieting taking up a lot of your thought space are you bending yourself inside out to create meals that are just for you and then different meals for other people these would be some things to me that would say this is impacting your life in a negative way so just something to consider what are we going to do about this <laughs> okay so i've i've done 25 minutes of bringing you down <laughs> i want to spend i am going to be going over the 30 minute mark on this one but i want to spend some time bringing you up with what you can do and i'm going to be talking about the 10 principles of intuitive eating as laid out by Evelyn Trebol. I think Trebol is how you say it. Um, I want to also mention that intuitive eating gets co-opted, that phrase gets co-opted into many diets that you might see. Um, apparently there are things like um, in, intuitive eating keto diets and intuitive eating fasting diets and things. It's important to know um, and I, I listened to a podcast by one of um, my favorite people to listen to on this subject, Stephanie Dodier. She has a podcast called Beyond the Food. So you might want to check that out. But I listened to an interview she did with Evelyn Trebol on intuitive eating. And from the woman who wrote the book on intuitive eating, she has said that intuitive eating by definition cannot include dieting so if it is it's not intuitive eating <laughs> intuitive eating is it's like a self-care eating framework where you are the expert of you imagine that but it can feel scary it can feel scary because when we take away the diet that's telling us what to do we can often feel a little bit lost like, well, what am I allowed to eat now? What's okay? What's not okay? How much do I eat? 
So it can feel really scary that way. It can also feel scary because it's going to ask us to tune into our bodies, into our own hunger and fullness. And outside of trauma, that in itself can be hard and a little bit scary because many of us are very disconnected from our own body cues around hunger and fullness because we've spent so much time practicing disconnecting from them. Chew gum instead of eating. Um, it can also feel scary if you have trauma in your life already because looking inward, tuning into our bodies, when we are someone who has experienced trauma and are being affected by trauma, that just on its own, whether it's food related or not, can be really scary. So full acknowledgements that it's not always easy. As much as it might sound as we go through it like it's going to be easy, it might not be. And please reach out for help if you need it. But you can't fail at intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is an exploration. It is learning. And as Stephanie Dodier said in Beyond the Food, it's learning. You just might not like the learning. So let's get into these 10 principles. I'm going to try and do this in 10 minutes or less. The first one is reject the diet mentality. Reject the diet culture. Easy peasy, right? We've already kind of talked about why that might be hard. Um, noticing if your brain is still telling you, I just need to find the right diet, that's diet culture still in there. If you're still looking at counting calories, um, looking at macros, things like that, that is, that is diet culture. Again, I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just saying that is diet culture. That is the diet mentality. It doesn't, again, this doesn't mean you are purposely trying to create unhealthy outcomes for yourself. But I'm going to give you a little phrase. This is also part of my five-day undiet your life and break up with toxic fitness challenge. What if you weren't a robot? What if healthy eating included more than your physical body? Imagine that because you are more than a physical body. You have an emotional body, a intellectual body, sorry, a spiritual body and a physical body. You need to encompass and pay attention to all the parts of you. Number two, honor your hunger. Again, simple on the surface might be really hard and that's okay. I think I said that was a big part of my first podcast episode, and that's okay. So, oh shit, there it is again. So, um, if in intuitive eating, if you are hungry, you eat. Again, we've talked about this, obsessive thinking about food comes from a lack of food. Hunger versus appetite. I do want to touch on this and just say hunger is a physiological need. Appetite is a psychological desire. So I think it's important to differentiate between those two things. And that is something I learned from the Girls Gone Strong course I did on understanding fitness and nutrition for a female body. Differentiating between hunger is what my body physically needs in order to survive. Appetite is what I want to eat. And neither of them is bad. That's really important. Both have a place in your life, but awareness of why you're eating, of, of 
what this is coming from when you eat can be really, really helpful. Number three, make peace with food. Health is about more than your physical body. I already said that. Taking the morality out of food. So we do tend to label food as good or bad. But the real problem with that is that we then take on those labels. Like I ate those fries, I'm so bad. Or I was really good today, all I had was salad. We start putting those moral labels of good or bad onto ourselves based on the food we're eating. Thinking about, and, and I want to say too, when you make peace with food, that eating salad's not bad. <laughs> I'm not saying don't eat salad. If you like the salad, if you're following the 10 principles of intuitive eating and that leads you to, I want to eat this salad, great. There is nothing wrong with being healthy, with wanting to be healthy, with noticing this food makes my body feel good. It makes all of me feel good. I think what's really important to look at is, am I being driven or am I being called? So am I being driven in this choice by what diet culture tells me to do? Or am I being called through my own exploration, learning about myself? And making peace with the food, last thing I'll say about that right now is, if you remove the judgment of the food, all you're left with is the experience. So if you were really able to take the judgment out of it and you just dove into the experience of eating it, that might change what you choose to eat and how you eat it. And again, I'm not saying you need to change anything, but it can change the experience of eating it, right? And changing the experience of eating it might change the relationship you have with that food. Number four, challenging the food police. The food police are your culture, your family, your friends, your own internal food police voice. Now your own internal voice, I want you to notice a lot of times when we are triggered into overeating, it comes alongside these thoughts of like, well, I just screwed it up, so I might as well eat the rest of this anyway, or whatever it is. You kind of know those thoughts I'm talking about, right? Those are very often triggered by that, you broke some rule. I screwed it up anyway, so I might as well. You broke a rule in, in your own internal food police self. You don't even have to understand what the rule is, although it might be interesting to look at, hmm, what was that rule I think I just broke or something that actually doesn't exist. But you don't even need to go that far. Just having awareness, oh, there's some rule that I thought existed about my body and food that I just broke. And I'm aware that I had a rule around that. Just bringing awareness is huge. And I'll have to do another podcast episode on why awareness is so huge in our understanding and, and changing behaviors. Okay, I hope that made sense. Um, just bringing awareness of the fact that you have rules around your food and that those rules are actually triggering you. They're, they're honestly probably not rules you need to have. Number five, feeling your fullness. Again, like honoring your hunger, feeling your fullness might be something that's hard. It feels unnatural. That's okay. Some things to know that full is a normal feeling. You're supposed to feel full 
that's how you know you're done. <laughs> um, it's also important to normalize. You might have trouble recognizing when you're full. One thing you can do to actually learn to communicate with your body and understand your body better is to slow down the eating. Because as I'm sure you've probably heard, it takes about 20 minutes for fullness singles, signals from your body to get up to your brain and say, hey, we're good. So slowing down actually helps um, shorten up that gap and lets you communicate with your body better. Number six, discovering satisfaction. This is all about pleasure. Imagine that. Imagine that your relationship with food was pleasurable. Imagine that it was based on feeling satisfied. What if your next meal goal was I want to feel satisfied with this meal? So think about the taste, the texture, the smell, how you feel afterwards. How satisfying was that meal? And what is talked about in intuitive eating is that overeating actually doesn't feel satisfying. It feels uncomfortable, right? Undereating, not satisfying. It's uncomfortable. So by virtue of looking at being satisfied with your eating, you come into balance. Number seven, coping with our feelings without food. <laughs> Now, if you struggle with this, please remember you are doing the best you can. And the big problem around this one is that food works. When I have uncomfortable emotions, guess what makes me feel better? Food. Food is supposed to be pleasurable. Food lights up things in your brain, pleasure signals in your brain. Food makes your brain release dopamine. It feels good. It's supposed to feel good. Your body wants things that keep you alive to feel good, to be pleasurable, to make you come back for more so that you stay alive. Your body's really smart that way. So I'm feeling something I don't want to feel. I eat food. I feel better. It freaking works, which is why we often get into this struggle with food and going to food as a fix. So I'm not saying, damn it, there it is again. So I'm not saying that you can't use food to deal with feelings. What I'm saying is have awareness when that's what's happening and don't make it so that you have to use food for your feel to fix your feelings or to deal with your feelings. Make it so that you can deal with your feelings without food, but you can also choose to say, you know what? I've had a shitty day. I'm eating the fucking cheesecake whatever it is, okay? Binge eating, overeating, emotional eating. These things are fabulous learning tools, and here's why. They are basically, not even basically, they literally are messages. These behaviors of binge eating, overeating, emotional eating, they are messages. They are drop pins in your GPS map saying, hey, here's a problem I need you to deal with, please. So if you're not sure what triggers your emotional eating, when it happens, just notice, drop pin, oh, here's my body, here's my brain saying, this is, this is our problem right now. I, I would like you to deal with this problem. How we do that is a totally different episode, right? But bring awareness to that. Number eight, respect your body. So 
for anybody who's feeling like if I do intuitive eating and that means I'm just going to eat everything in sight and I'm going to eat bad food, again, notice the term bad, when you put all of these principles together, that that goes away on its own. So respecting our body means being nice to it, having compassion for ourselves. And I like the term respecting our body because very often where we currently are in our relationship with our body and the idea of loving our body, that gap might be massive and it might be too big to bridge. But respecting our body, we can respect our body and hate it at the same time. That is possible. So we can respect our body. And one little tip I will say is when you're having thoughts around your body, just notice the tone of voice that those thoughts are taking. And if you do nothing else, just think about changing the tone of voice. It's actually, let me know how that one goes over because it's actually a really powerful thing to do. Number nine, I'm almost there, joyful movement. Now, I'm not going to go into this one very much at all because I do lots of other episodes on movement. The big key with this one is that your movement is not about burning calories. The movement is simply about letting your body do what it was designed to do, and it was designed to move. Number 10, this one is meant to generally to be the last one. So all of these, there's no particular order, but number 10 is um, suggested as the last one to look at because it really doesn't work unless all the other things are in place already. And that is honor your health with gentle nutrition. Gentle nutrition means, yes, you are allowed to eat healthy food. <laughs> you are, um, and I shouldn't say healthy food. You are allowed to eat what is healthy food for you but you're not defining yourself based on your healthy eating habits. I hope that makes sense. Um, you're not defining yourself by, if I don't do that this way, I'll go back to diet culture. I would suggest, so one way I have um, looked at this is adding before you remove is something you can look at with gentle nutrition. So instead of thinking and we're moving out of diet culture, instead of thinking I'm going to have less calories, what about having more fiber? How does that sit with your body? What about instead of eating less what I would call junk food, just consider enjoying the food more. Every bite of what you eat, enjoy it, savor it, enjoy it more. So think about adding in before you think about taking away. What are your takeaways on this podcast? please feel free to let me know. I have decided that my Mighty Network area, because all of this stuff that I'm doing, this online stuff, it, it's new. So I'm building it. I'm, I'm designing it. I'm trying to figure out how I want it to work. And I think I would like my Mighty Network, which is outside of Facebook, to be the place where people who listen to the podcast go to discuss the podcast episodes. So I'll put a link to that Kick-Ass Life Project Tribe Network and it'll be free. You can join that. And well, it's free right now. Maybe it won't be forever. But right now, it's free. So go and join that. And if you're in there for free, then it'll always be free for you. And talk about the podcast. I'll put some posts up about it. Wherever you are in your journey with food, 
in your journey with yourself, in your journey in life. Remember this, you're still on. Keep riding.